Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Rachel Milkey. Rachel always had ambitions of starting her own company. After a trip to Banff when she was 23, she decided to make this happen. Rachel founded Hilberg & Burke in Regina, Saskatchewan, with two goals in mind. To create beautiful, high-quality jewelry at an affordable price for women, and to use her company as a force for social good. Hilberg & Burke advocates for social issues and advocates for women's empowerment. Rachel has had the honor of designing jewelry for Queen Elizabeth II. She's been awarded many entrepreneurial accolades over the years, and she's an honorary captain of the Royal Canadian Navy. But Rachel's proudest accomplishment is by far her three children and her marriage to her best friend, Zlatan. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Rick. We're really excited to talk with you about uh, what's going on at Hilberg and Burke. Um, full disclosure, I wrote an article about you for the, for the National Post six years ago now. And so, so I ha we haven't really kept up to date since then. So I'm eager to find out what's happening, what's going on and what's really exciting. But uh, the first question we always ask in the Startup Canada podcast is what are the top pieces of advice that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from this conversation? Oh, let's start with the big one. Um, yeah. So, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I thought about advice that I've been given that's uh, really served me well as I've, um, as I've scaled up H and B. And the first one is actually like a casual comment that my business partner, Brett Wilson made to me several years ago when I was going through a really challenging situation. And he basically said, he said to me, he's like, Rachel, there's no, there's no book on, um, scaling an, an international jewelry business from Saskatchewan. And what I took, <laughs> <laughs> what I took away from that was really a reflection of, um, you know, you can, you can learn from, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs growth path and how they've done things. But at the end of the day, your business is like a blueprint and you really have to um, individualize the strategy and the learnings and sometimes the challenges to, to your unique situation and product at a specific time in a specific market. So it, that's always just really stuck with me is that, you know, your business might be similar, your product might be similar, but how you run your business is a blueprint and there's no book on how to run or scale up your specific business. You have to figure that out on yourself. Was that terrifying or was that encouraging? It was, to me, I found that empowering because, you know, at a time when I was going through a really challenging point, it was just a reminder of like, yeah, this is tough and there are going to be mistakes and that's okay because nobody knows exactly how it's supposed to be done. You're figuring it out along the way. So yeah, it was to me, that was a really empowering comment. And that's why I wanted to st start with that piece of advice. Um, and that, that kind of leads into my second uh, piece of advice, which is to surround yourself with the smartest and most industrious people you can. So as you start to add 
people to your team as your business scales up. Um, don't be afraid to hire people that talk about things that you don't understand to really go out and find intelligent individuals that uh, are not only smart, but also really industrious um, and can really help you dig into uh, the nuances of your industry. And again, back to that blueprint, you know, every business model is unique and you need people who can really be passionate and thoughtful about what does it take and how do you need to um, evolve your business to really grow in today's market. Right. Um, not to extend this part any longer, but let's do it. Um, <laughs> how would you go about assessing someone's industriousness to me intelligence is something that, that comes out fairly um quickly you know in an interview or almost any conversation but industriousness and passion um might be a little bit more difficult for most people to ascertain so any tips on how other entrepreneurs could uh, try and detect passion and industriousness in potential employees or partners? So I always want to sit in on important in interviews within H&B. And throughout the years, I've uh, um, interviewed pro like probably close to 100 people or more. Um, it's really important for me to really get to know somebody through a, a variety of um a variety of ways. So part of that is the interview process. Ideally, it's a face-to-face -face interview. Sometimes we have um, an interview that leads into like a more casual experience, like we go for lunch or we go for dinner, so that you can spend time with somebody on a, on a more uh, casual and intimate basis to really start getting to know them. And I try and create conversation and questions that I can really get to know somebody and try and assess whether or not they are industrious. Um, and, you know, I think as you spend time with somebody, you, you can really get to know and assess whether or not they bring that industriousness. The other thing that we do that's a more practical tool is we use um, like an analytical tool uh, called predictive index that tells us a little bit about the personality type of the person that we're hiring. And we can kind of match that up to the role um, as, as kind of contributed to the, the, to the role by a number of people in the organization to see, is there a good fit between the personality type of the person that we're hiring and what we need in that role? And I know that that's been a really helpful tool for our organization as well. Cool. So that's Predictive Index. Is that a product uh, anyone can buy? It is. Yeah. And it's actually a Canadian company. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, sounds like a good idea because everyone is complaining about how, how hard it is to find talent. And I think intelligence, industriousness, and passion is what talent is all about. So uh, there's your secret weapon. Okay, let's talk about Hilberg and Burke. Um, you mentioned it as an international, it aspires to be an international jewelry company. So it's come a long way since you were had a kiosk at the mall. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the state, the current state of H&B, as you call it, uh, today. And then we'll go into the bit of the journey that allowed you to get here. So sort of how big is it? Where are your locations? What What is your addressable market? Sure. So yeah, we, we certainly have come a long way since having that first kiosk, which we do have. We actually have several kiosks, several stores now. We have 10 locations and we have an aggressive growth plan to continue scaling our business across the country and, and eventually throughout North America and around the world. Um, uh, I guess current state was as a business, as all businesses, we've come through the most challenging year that I've ever been in business and we're still in some ways very much in it. Um, that being said, 
for us, it's allowed us to really double down on things that have made us special and things that I think have differentiated Hilberg and Burke, such as, you know, really um, getting back to our roots of, of, of purpose and what is our, what is our, what is our focus and purpose? What are we trying to achieve? Um, product, you know, really doubling down on our product and uniqueness of design, uh, quality and, and um, leaning into those things more. And, and so we've really focused on that over the last year. And obviously, like most businesses, we've really tried to um, create efficiencies any way that we can. Um, but we've come through the pandemic um, stronger as a company. Um, and, you know, our, our growth plan over the next three years includes uh, rolling out um, our, our brand new, newly refreshed brand. So we worked on refreshing our brand over the last two years. And it's, um, it really, I think, portrays the heart of, of what our brand is about, which I, I believe is everyday maximalism. And our brand loves to um, inspire women to express themselves creatively and, and, and not be afraid to do that. So we're really excited about this new brand refresh and we're going to be working to bring this brand refresh to all of our new stores and our, our existing stores, um, as well as our digital experience. So really excited about the future, despite having come through just a really challenging year over the last uh, year and a bit of the pandemic. Wow, that's uh, I'm exhausted just listening to you talk about all that work. You used a phrase I wasn't familiar with, um, everyday maximalism. <laughs> so it's that what you said? Is that yeah, what you that's said? <laughs> that is what I said. Yeah, that's really the brand ethos of Hilberg and Burke. It's and in, in many ways, I think Hilberg and Burke has run in an opposite direction of of what trend has dictated, or maybe what's been sort of traditional for the jewelry industry. And we really lean into an aesthetic that is about um, expressiveness for women and women um, using jewelry as a tool to express their own personal style and individuality. And to me, that's not about being um, delicate or, or dainty, um, which you know many of the jewelry trends currently are. It's about being very expressive, and to us, expressiveness is is um, uh, comes to life in an everyday maximalist aesthetic. Right. Tell me that sparkle is still at the heart of it all. Sparkle will always be at the heart of it all. <laughs> okay. because <laughs> both, both the product and, and what sparkle means to us as a brand. What does sparkle mean to you as a brand? To us, sparkle is about, um, you know, really inspiring women through our brand, inspiring women to tap into their own um, unique skills and passions uh, to share those with the world. So we really believe that um, every woman deserves to um, express herself, to feel comfortable um, in living her best life. And we want to inspire her through our storytelling, um, through our social contributions to women's causes, through our campaigns and our models to really, to really inspire her to sparkle, to, to live her best life, um, to surround herself with a community of amazing women, um, and to, to hopefully, you know, inspire her to live that best life. That's like the best, uh expression of a brand that I've ever heard. And I, I love it. I, I've always loved the way that, uh, that, that you and your company sort of um, embraced that word sparkle, uh, but I didn't really understand what it, what it all meant. So that, that's really exciting. I have this feeling that more Canadian companies should really focus on branding and try and find that one word or idea that galvanizes, that represents the passion of the whole enterprise. Have you found that having that 
type of message that is so simple and yet evocative and visual uh, has, has been important to your growth? I think in many ways it really has. And one of the interesting things that I've experienced over the course of, you know, the almost 15 years that we've been in business is there's what you believe the brand is about and storytell about. And then there's what the customer experiences and how they interpret it. And the, the, I think the most fascinating thing is that our customers have really owned that concept of sparkle and sharing your sparkle. You know, that was kind of something we started as a brand to share your sparkle. We decided to take one of our best selling products and start giving that away to women for free. We started giving it away to women at um, charitable events. We would give it to women in hospitals. We we gave it away to women on Mother's Day um, during the Fort McMurray fires when, when there were so many mothers in Edmonton. We just invited them to our stores to come and get a free pair of sparkle ball so, so we kind of started the sparkle, sparkle, share your sparkle movement, but our customers took it and completely owned it in their own unique way. And then what we started to see through um, comments and dialogue on social media, through customers reaching out to us in store or on social media, and um, even little letters that customers would write to each other uh, when we received their online orders is they were really owning that message themselves and kind of passing it on to other women to empower and recognize and honor other women in their lives. So I would say that's been like the most profound part of the brand experience for me is, you know, we had our own um, storytelling and interpretation of this brand and then our customers owned it in their own unique special way and really ran with it. And that's been really um, rewarding and in, incredible to watch. I've got to ask one more question on this point because I, I love how articulate and deliberative you are about this. Is is this something that you decided to do deliberately or was it something you discovered along the way or did you model uh, what someone else had done in terms of setting up this as a as 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 a way of expressing the brand? It was an idea that definitely evolved. When I started Hilberg & Burke, what I was passionate about and what I knew coming from an entrepreneurial family that worked very, very hard and I saw the sacrifice that it took to run a business, I knew I knew that it was going to take a lot of hard work. And I knew that in, you know, when I was in my 20s, and I was setting up, um, my first company was called Urban Pearl Accessories, which after a few years, I rebranded to Hilberg and & Burke. And I did that all throughout my 20s. I guess, and I knew, you know, running that business meant a lot of, in my 20s, a lot of sacrifice. It meant many nights that I was working till midnight that I couldn't go out with my friends. Um, I knew that there needed to be more than just the financial reward. Um, of course, I always wanted to build a business that was successful and sustainable and profitable. But for me, that was a a, a small portion of what the overall vision for building the my business was, you know, the bigger vision was how can we do something meaningful in our community? How can we give back? And as I started the company, um, you know, I noticed that there was immediately a lot of requests for donations in the community. And a lot of the donations were coming from organizations that impacted women. And as Hilberg and Burke supported those organizations, there was impact. There was impact that I could see. There was an organization that we worked quite closely with, um, that fundraised every two years and fundraised for significant um, equipment in the in the breast cancer assessment unit in Regina. And so watching that and knowing that we had a small part in that was very impactful for me early on. So I, I don't know that it was a deliberate, intentional 
um, part of my strategy, but it was something that I noticed, something that I sort of first felt in my heart that I wanted to have included as part of my strategy. And then it was something that I noticed that the impact that we were having. And I think that drove more, more fire and more passion to do more of it to an extent that Hilberg and Burke over the years, we've partnered with dozens and dozens of organizations and contributed well in excess of, of $2 million cash and $8 million in product contributions to these organizations across the country to really, um, support back to our goal of empowering women across the country through the success of our brand. But uh, yeah, I would say it wasn't necessarily a deliberate strategy. It was more something that I felt in my heart. And then I noticed the impact and that fueled a deeper desire to do more. Beautiful. So take us back in in time a little bit and tell us how Hilberg and Burke got started. Uh, I seem to recall that you were making your own jewelry as as, as a young person. Yeah, so I think the um, the seed for the passion for wanting to do this started when I was quite young. I um, I can recall being into sort of every sort of craft imaginable and just spending hours doing that. And as I grew, I I sort of felt entrepreneurship in my blood. I can remember remember in high school and definitely in university, I felt that passion that I wanted to start a company. And it was during that time that, you know, my convocation present for my parents was like this beautiful high-end sewing machine. Like they knew how much I loved creating things with my hands. And I started making jewelry for fun and giving it to my girlfriends. But really at the beginning, I did not believe that I would be able to launch a business from Saskatchewan in the jewelry industry. Like that just, the connection didn't happen for me. It wasn't until... Um, my girlfriend encouraged me that I should really start selling the product. And I took the leap into setting up a brand. And my first brand, as I mentioned, was called Urban Pearl Accessories. And I went to this uh, three-day um, trade show that she was organizing that it, the sort of light bulb went off that this could be feasible. Um, we had kind of a successful show, sort of sold out of all of the jewelry. And it was from then that I made the decision, okay, I'm going to pursue this um, wholeheartedly. And that was uh, about... 15 years ago and I really haven't looked back from then. Wow. So many people do love to make crafts and so many people dream of being able to to make that their their, their living, their their full-time job. What do you think it was that made it possible for you to sell out when other people, you know, end up taking a whole bag of their stuff home from from a lot of fairs and shows? Well, what I do know is that um it's a very competitive industry. And your timing getting into the industry, your unique brand proposition, um, pricing, all of those things have an impact. So I think my my understanding of those factors through business school and through, um, you know, even my exposure of the first job that I has, had was working for an organization called Women Entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan. And I had access to a lot of really incredible speakers. Um, I think I was able to refine my brand in a way that had the right product at the right price, you know, just kind of the four, four traditional P's of marketing, um, that it worked, you know? So I don't think that, um, you know, of course, of course we had amazing product, but it wasn't any, like, I don't think stroke of brilliance that made our product, um, that much better or different than anyone else's. But I think it was just understanding those fundamental P's that positioned us well from the outset and allowed us to then continue refining, um, and listening to our customers. So I think, you know, what I've learned over the years is I had a, I had a, a vision for what the product needed to be and what our brand needed to be. And I've learned to really listen to customers and to um, incorporate what they want as well as what my vision is for the product to ensure the um, longevity of our brand. And what are those P's again? Price, positioning, pearls? <laughs> and pearls. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry, are there a number of, of P's? Because I, I heard price, so, but I, I don't remember the other. Price, product, pl place, and promotion. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, I know that's sort of and pearls. sort of high school business that courses P, the four P's, but you but you actually made it work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the that's the foundation, right? You know, and and I think um, sometimes sometimes from an artist's perspective, you're you're so passionate about what it is that you want to do and your unique art art um, kind of perspective on the world that maybe those factors aren't considered and that 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 maybe is the difference between the ability to scale and and not right now i know you have some overseas suppliers but uh, last time we talked 90% of your jewelry was still made in canada how how's that look today yeah we still have a production team of i think there's around 25 people that work in in canada as our business has scaled we've had to um, model our ability to make the product in canada with um just the ability, like the, our ability to scale and, and need to keep up with that. Um, so, you know, I don't off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what the percentage of product made in Canada, all products still gets touched in Canada in some regards, the more intricate pieces that are um, have gemstones are still very much made in Canada. And, you know, made in Canada is a part of our story. Design in Canada is a very important part of our story, but also, um, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is we, one of our, our products that it's a key product is sparkle that we don't make in Canada. You know, we really dug into what, who could we work with globally? And we kicked off this incredible partnership, um, with someone that I met through the YPO organization and he was a partner in um, the fair share organization. And that organization went into um, Myanmar and, and really built out um, a sustainable way for women in Myanmar to have safe and reliable places to come together, but more importantly, places where they could practice their religion without persecution and come together to promote, um, interfaith working together to really promote peace. And so we, we had been working with, um, with this partnership that we had for a number of years to set up this collective in Myanmar and take some of our production um, of our Sparkle collection and take it to Myanmar and give to th this collective of women. Um, unfortunately, like it's been so sad to watch what's happened in Myanmar and those women haven't been able to work for several months as uh, the coup has unfolded there. Um, but the work that we did to set that up is something that I'm incredibly proud of. So I mean, I mean, in my mind, there's there, there is no problem with with, with uh, outsourcing production. I mean, sometimes it's an economic necessity. But you've also it sounds like you've been able to find a way to make a, a social virtue out of it, and you've improved people's lives. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the you know um, foundational uh, you know um, tenets of Hilbergenberg is to is how do we improve people's lives through the work that we do in our company. So it, it's been definitely something that we're really proud of, of setting up this collective in Myanmar to produce one of our key product items. Right. I remember asking you several years ago um, about how you came up with the name because you did this uh, pivot from Urban Pearl to Hilberg and Burke. Can you remind me where the name came from again? Oh, sure. It's named after my great grandma Hilda Bergman and my dog Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, lo I love it. I love it. I to, to know where this comes from. What was the thinking behind something like that? Like urban, what was wrong with urban Pearl? Why didn't that fit with where you were going? And why did Hilberg and Burke? 
fit? So I guess when I named Urban Pearl, I was 24 years old. Um, I was sort of just having fun with an idea of creating a jewelry brand. After two years of running it, um, I knew that I had a very serious opportunity to scale a business. Uh, at that point, I, I remember a conversation in a marketing class where, um, you know, just a discussion about don't box yourself into something with your name. And upon reflecting on that, I thought, you know, is Urban Pearl broad enough for me? Could we potentially expand into other product lines down the road if with that name? And I just didn't feel like that name was right for um, differentiation potentially down the road. And so I um, decided to rebrand and um, sat down with a girlfriend and a bottle of wine and just listed out a whole bunch of things that were meaningful to me. And in the end, Hilbergenberg just sounded like the right name for the brand that I envisioned. And what what made it right? I mean, you know, you have lots of grandmothers or a few of them. Um, there's lots of dog names. You know, there could be cats in, on the scene. I don't know. Um, so what made Hilberg and Burke? Was it the sound? Is it the, 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 the sort of the upscaleness of those names? What, 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 what made that, you happy? That's a great question. And I don't have an answer other than it just sounded right. When we said the words together, it sounded right. It felt like it conveyed the feeling of um, a high quality, like affordable luxury product that I dreamt of creating for that brand um, in that name. And I don't know why it sounded right, but it just did. That, that When we said that name, we were like, that, that's it. And that's why I asked you the question, because it sounds right, but I don't know why either. So now we know that uh, some things you just have to take on faith. And, and, and hopefully they work out. Uh, you mentioned that you're interested in scaling into global markets. So what's this, the sort of state of that initiative at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I've always believed that Hilberg & Burke can be a global brand. How I've approached growth has been organically. So um, since through Dragon's Den, I took on a 30% partner uh, through the show, um, have not diluted the business since then. And, and that the growth strategy of staying, you know, organically grown, growing since Dragon's Den, which was 13 years ago, has been the right approach for me. That means growth is a little bit slower. So we have, our strategy has been own your backyard. So we've work, really worked on um, creating an amazing experience and integrating our brand into the community, being a, um, a staple in the community organizations that we support um, locally through every city that we go into. So we've really worked um, across Western Canada, sort of city by city, um, first in a brick and mortar context, and then over significantly over the last six years, increasingly in a digital context as well. Mm -hmm. And now like, you know, through COVID really a very strong digital pre presence. And in the future, I believe it will be an integration of both that allows us to scale. Um, but yeah, it's really our strategy has been, you know, do a really good job in your backyard, um, own that market and then carry on to the next city from there. And so do you have a plan? Are you selling anything into the United States or is there maybe a bit of spillover from your website that people in, might find in New York or North Dakota? Oh, sure. We have a, in our distribution center in Regina, we have a, a global map where we've shipped and I think we've shipped to most countries globally now. So we definitely have a consumer base that is all over the world now. Um, the most significant concentration of our consumer, consumers still remains in Canada. But we know that I, be, I still believe firmly that Hilbergenberg is a brand that absolutely can be taken to the world and we continue to work on, you know, kind of a geographical approach to, to scaling. Right. We all know that 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 e-commerce is 
you know, where retail is heading. And the the whole experience of the pandemic has pushed us all a little bit more in that direction. But can you uh, tell us about the role of the store, of, of the stores in your organization? Is that an important uh part of your sales? Is it important for image? Is it important for being in touch with customers? Uh, why do you still have stores and what are they doing for you? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I can totally understand why you'd ask that question and why people might wonder that. But for Hilberg and Burke, um, we view ourselves as um, a strongly customer centric organization. So our customer experience is something that we not only talk about all the time, we obsess over continually. And it's something that's a thread through our conversations on literally almost like probably a minute by minute basis is what's the experience that our customers are having online, in person, through our partnerships, through our charitable network. Um, and we want to be a high touch organization so that, you know, we really, um, have a, an intimate relationship with our customers. And so for us, although the role of the store has changed significantly, um, over the last five years and, you know, dramatically over the last, the last year and a half through COVID, um, we know that the, that having an intimate relationship with your customers will always be a strong differentiator for our brand. And so that is why we do believe that that physical locations, although the, you know, um, the percentage of sales that we might be able to command out of those locations has changed and may change. And that's okay. Still having that opportunity to express our brand, to have face-to-face conversations, to be able to physically reach out and touch people when it's safe post COVID, those are important things. And I think that's what makes our brand really special. Right. I saw you uh, on social media, whether it was Twitter or whatever, I don't remember. Recently you were visiting a store, I think in, in, in Regina or maybe Edmonton. Okay. Yep. Oh <laughs> yes. Uh, so I was just in the Calgary, a US Calgary store last okay, week. Okay. Calgary. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you were, I guess it was recently renovated and you were so proud of it. And, it, and of course the whole place sparkled. So it was, it was fun to see. Yeah. Th- so this is our new brand. You know, we just went through this project of completely refreshing the brand it, that hadn't, that work hadn't been done since we developed the brand back in 2008. So um, it was a really exciting process to work on up, updated colors and updated um, experience and design for our stores. And that's been the first rollout of that new brand concept in a store format. And so uh, it's, it was really exciting because I hadn't seen it in person because of the pandemic until last week. So of course I had seen it in pictures and videos, um, but going to see it in person it's of course it's my store, but it is spectacular, Three, and I can't two, wait one. to continue rolling those out. You've mentioned your business partner a couple of times, so that's Brett Wilson, who's one who was one of the dragons whom you met when you were on the show many years back, and he became your partner, and you're still working with him today. Much like a marriage, yes, he is my still still my partner <laughs> in the business. <laughs> yeah, so, so so Brett was known as the the the, the dragon with a conscience. And uh, and you know very much a, a, a smart, um, self-made kind of entrepreneur. Um, can you just give us some idea of what it's like to a work with a personality that big, and also you know what sort of ideas and and contributions he was able to contribute? Yeah. So I mean, it was such an interesting experience being on Dragons Den. Um, Brad and I cut the deal. Uh, while we were taping and then we went out for coffee that night and and 
my sort of question to him was, how quickly can we get this deal inked? Because, you know, I've got this growth strategy and I could really use the cash. Um, so so that was kind of part of the initial, like, question to him. And, and also sort of, you know, like, what's your role going to be? Like, I can't wait to start picking your brain about all of this stuff. And he said, look, like, I'll be your investor, but I, I you know, I have... Um, you know, this huge portfolio of other companies that I'm invested in, and I'm, I'm probably not gonna have a lot of time to be actively involved in your company. So that was clear from the outset, that that wasn't going to be his role in the business. Um, so I guess I went into the relationship, just understanding that, that, you know, I was going to forge forward. And, um, and along the way, Brett has been incredibly supportive of, of my um philanthropic approach to business. So I've always believed that some of your best marketing can be supporting community and supporting organizations as opposed to, you know, investing dollars in traditional advertising, you can invest dollars in the community. And that's where our customers are quite often. And, and he was always supportive of that, even when it meant sacrificing profits to, to double down on community investment as a way that I believed would grow our business and grow loyalty from our customers. Um, so from, from a perspective of, you know, an investor who was just patient and really supportive of, of my vision for how I wanted to run the business, I don't think I could have ended up with a better partner because he really, he really truly let me um, do exactly what I wanted to do in business and was there when, you know, sometimes things didn't go right and offer always offered great perspective. Like, you know, time and time again, when I felt like the sky was falling in business because something had just gone catastrophically wrong, Brett was such a like um, voice of reason to just like kind of bring me out of a tough mindset and say like, look, this is just normal, Rachel, just kind of, you know, carry on, carry on. Wow. And, and I bet that's so powerful because when you feel, you know, that the, 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 the windows are being blown in, um, having someone say, yeah, this is normal is, could be really reassuring. Especially at the outset, like when I was getting started and I, and I got the investment from Brett, um, you know, when that check landed on my desk and it was $200,000 at that time in our business, we were only doing a hundred thousand dollars in annual sales and that much money I could not have ever imagined in my life, somebody investing. And that, now I know in relatively speaking, um, it's a very small investment, you know, considering some of the, <laughs> the, the raises that happened today, but back then, you mean I- it's gone. <laughs> Back then when I was getting started, that was a lot of money and it was very meaningful. So I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders taking on him as a partner and that investment. And I I was going to do whatever it took to ensure that I didn't let him down. Um, so ha- having that attitude from, from him um, took a lot of that pressure off of me. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you've had a recent uh, change in your relationship with the company. You, you You've, I think you grew up in Regina and you founded the company there, but you and your family have moved out to Vancouver Island and you're still CEO, but it sounds like you've taken a bit of a step back to sort of be more strategic. How do you describe all this? Yeah. So I'll maybe kind of start with the backstory, um, you know, since starting this business and, and growing it from, from my kitchen table from zero to, to where it is now with 10 locations and a, and a very significant online presence, customers globally. Um, it was a real sprint. It was a 15 year sprint of, of that's not a sprint. It's a marathon. <laughs> it was an intense marathon. And, 
you know, I think um, as much as I wanted to have balance in my life and dreamed about balance and sometimes had balance, it, it wasn't great. It really wasn't. And um, in January of 2020, I had a wake up call and I had cancer and um, very unexpectedly. And fortunately, they, they caught it really early and I was able to you know have a few surgeries and move past that quickly. But it was really an opportunity to reset. And so that was followed very closely by COVID um, and a lot of um, obviously a lot of uncertainty. But but one thing that really changed and shifted for our, our business was we went to, we decided that we were going to go from any any employees who could. Not all of our employees can because some people work in our distribution center and in our production facility. Um, but any employees who could, we were going to go to a work from home model. And we really knew that this would work well for our um our cohort of team members within H and B because a lot of them are young and don't have families yet and really wanted this kind of an, uh, a work environment even before COVID. Um, but also this was going to allow us to start bringing in really specific um, skills and expertise in our industry that we, we weren't necessarily able to find consistently in Saskatchewan. So that change also allowed our, um, our family to contemplate a move to be closer to our family members. So even though I was born and raised in Regina, I didn't have any family in the city anymore. And I have um, two small children and a 21 year old stepson. And we just, we just wanted to be around our family more often. Um, and we decided to make the move out to Vancouver Island where we have several family members. So we did that last summer and, um, and yeah, like navigating this new world of COVID and, and knock on wood so far, so good. We've really been able to figure out how to do a digital workforce, um, in a way that still maintains our culture, which is a very important part of our organization at H&B. Um, one thing we've learned is that getting together in person, you cannot replace that with anything else. We still have to make time to get together and have some fun. And we were actually just splashing around Wascana Lake uh, this week and having some fun. And, and, and so, you know, everything kind of everything in balance, you know, still got to see each other, each other um, from time to time in, in, in person, but this um, new remote remote workforce has worked really well for us. Can you swim in Wiscana Lake in Regina? You may not want to. It wasn't smelling too, <laughs> okay. too bad this week, but come July, come August. Oh, it's still early. Yeah. Still yeah. early. Okay. <laughs> Because I, I was going to say, I, I grew up in Toronto, I've grown up in Toronto, and we have a lake, and I don't think I've ever swum in, swum in it. I was thrown into it once, but we won't go into that. Yeah, no, no we, were, we weren't never swimming. We were, swimming, we were kayaking and paddle boarding and we, trying to avoid falling in. <laughs> ah, okay, right, right, right. And tell me, how being in uh, on Vancouver Island, um, how do you keep tabs on the business? Any tips for other entrepreneurs who might want to try and, uh, and, and run their business digitally? Well, quite honestly, it's no, it's no different than being in person. Sure. I can't physically walk the four corners of the office. Um, but I have, there are people in Regina who can do that for me. Um, and you know, all the digital platforms that exist, we operate on, on Google and through, um, you know, Google meet and, uh, it's, it's worked really well for us. You know, I actually think we have a higher, we do have a higher level of accountability in our, in our organization. Um, we have a higher level level of productivity and, and I think we have a higher level of staff engagement because they now have probably more flexibility, mostly being work from home, um, uh, through our staff cohort as well. Right. What do your staff say? I mean, it's often so important to have the founder um, 
you know, around there as a living, breathing, passionate uh, ex- representative of the brand. So how do you make up for, for, for that lack of physical presence? I guess a, a couple of ways. It still remains important to go and walk the four corners um, when I can get there. Now through the pandemic, it was challenging. But as we get out of that, you know, I'm still going to get into stores and go see people. And that remains important. And it always will remain important. Um, the other thing that I do is we do we have like a virtual connect through we use Workplace by Facebook. Um, and we're always connected through that. So we connect with each other. I connect with the, our teams through Workplace. Um, we uh, celebrate our team for living our company values. And I post a video once a month on, on Workplace and, and, and just recognize people. So I think there's different ways that I can, as a founder and CEO, maintain that high-touch culture that, you know, is really important to us, but do so in this new frontier of, of a digital age. Right. And does the displacement, the, 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 the distance, does it help you in terms of thinking strategically about growth and philanthropy and, and, and your own personal mission of empowering women? What the distance does is forces me to not be so much in the details, which can be challenging sometimes for a founder. At least I know it's been challenging when you're actually physically in the building and walking around, you're seeing all of the details happening and you're overhearing conversations. And in some ways that's wonderful. And in other ways that, that does make it challenging if you want to step back and be a little bit more strategic and a little bit less um, hands-on involved. So I, I think that the move coupled with the desire to, to really um, step back from the day-to-day operations of the business works well in conjunction with one another. So win-win. Win-win. <laughs> Isn't that great? Plus, mountains in the sea. What, 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 what could possibly go wrong there? Yeah. All right. Tell me, the, the, just one of the things that most stood out for me when, when, when I first met you was hearing about the work you'd done for the Queen. And, and, and I think that's pretty interesting. So I believe that Hilberg and Burke created one of her most favorite pieces of jewelry. Can you tell me about that? I don't know and that it's... Still... A... <laughs> I was going to say, do you still monitor her to see if she's still wearing it? I don't know if it's her favorite. All I can say is that she's worn it many, many, many times. And it's unusual to see her repeat a piece of jewelry um, frequently. So, so yeah, I mean, we had this really incredible opportunity back in 2012 when we were approached by the Lieutenant Governor's Office of Saskatchewan um, when the Lieutenant Governor was just newly appointed in Saskatchewan. And she knew she was going to go and have an audience with the Queen and wanted to take a really special gift to honour the lifetime of work that the Queen has really um, given to the Commonwealth. So they asked us if we would be willing to create a piece of jewellery, which of course we were ecstatic about the opportunity. And we made her this really beautiful um, Madagascar tourmaline and diamond asymmetric floral brooch. And this was the piece that she has gone on to be um, spotted wearing, I think like close to a a dozen times now. Um, and then in, uh, several years later, we were invited to create, well, to bid, um, to create a design to, to be, um, a contender in potentially making a piece of jewelry that the government of Canada presented to the queen, um, for her Sapphire Jubilee. And we were fortunate enough to have have won that bid process and created another piece um, that was given to her. And she's also gone on to wear that piece several times as well. So it's honestly, it's this fairy tale experience that I could have never in my wildest dreams would happen. That's that's so cool. I mean, I figure that if you 
get a piece of jewelry, design a piece of jewelry for the queen and she gets it once, that's luck. But if it happens twice, I think that's a pretty good sign. It was it was pretty wild. And still to this day, if 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 somebody kind of circulates a picture or we spot that she's wearing it again, I still get all of those same head to toe goosebumps and just kind of have one of those moments where I sort of pinch myself. Okay, Rachel Milkey of Hilberg and Burke. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey. It's been so exciting. And I get the impression that there's still a lot to come yet. There always is when you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, as we head out here now, can you, have you saved one more tip for us, one more piece of advice that entrepreneurs could put into uh, immediate action in their businesses? You know, what I think about as we've come through a really challenging year as entrepreneurs, you can um, sometimes start to question yourself, question your strategy. Um, I think something that people have told me a lot over the years that has um, served me well is you have to be your own biggest cheerleader. You know, even when you go through tough stuff, you have to remember that intrinsically you have a gut sense of how to do things. And even when things go wrong, you have to you know, find that belief in yourself and your ability to create uh, vision for the future and you've got to be your own cheerleader you have to advocate for yourself you have to um, go out there and tell your story nobody is going to do it better than you will and so you have to just do that and and really be relentless in doing that in order to break through the noise and break through the clutter um, that entrepreneurs have to inevitably deal with as they're scaling up be your own biggest cheerleader i love it thank you so much rachel for sharing all your wisdom and advice we will Keep an eye on your future progress and uh, wish you all the best of luck in growing Hilberg and Burke. Thanks so much, Rick. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.